0: Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Where are you going with this? Is this just a sound check?
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Normally in radio, it's what did you have for breakfast today, which would be less weird. Oh, right.
3: Okay. We could say over and over again what the result was yesterday.
2: You know, one, two, one,
3: two, one, two. Uh,
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Green and White brought to you by Argyle Life. Here we go again, a narrow margin loss against a far superior side in this league sees Argyle come away from Leeds with nothing as the home side's Premier League class shines through. There was a glimmer of hope after last week's cancellations, Argyle cashing in on their rail repay as Ben Wayne notched his first championship goal to leave Ellen Road faithful baying for the final whistle against little old Plymouth. The same crowd in fact that reminded me never to wear chinos to, to the football. Joining me on this sunny afternoon, although it's pretty dark now. Uh, the man who spent his Saturday hobnobbing with former players and current players' families, John Ulsop. How's things? Well, we're not sure that we were next to a current player's family, but my
2: powers of deduction suggest that we were for privacy's sake. I'll direct anyone who wants to know who that player is to Aaron Hawking's Twitter account where he did a not at all desperate no tweet at this at this individual.
1: Hang on, sorry. For balance there, I genuinely thought when you at someone, it's not as visible on Twitter. I just wanted a quick answer. A yes or no from Joe. I did not at it um, in a way that, that was there for traction or likes. Um, or to make myself look like a eye, which it did. Yeah,
2: it definitely succeeded in the, in the, in the latter, if not the former. be um, yeah, it no good. I was actually wearing chinos yesterday, although not of the ghastly colour that got that guy um, so roundly abused. It was quite funny actually. My leads. I've got a friend who's a leads fan. who was in the home end yesterday, and he um, was asking me, you know, whether we whether we had a play called Gino or like what the Gino chanting was about. And I said I was um, similarly perplexed. And it wasn't until today that I uh, saw the videos of, of them chanting about the chinos but um, no my friend was asking if chino's if, if a campo was a celebrity argyle fan
1: <laughs> yeah i i think it might must have been their accents i had absolutely no idea what they were chanting half the time mr boot camp himself dan Elard, how's things
4: yeah pretty good thanks
1: yeah good and the raffle winner that is sam down
4: Thank you very much. Yes, um, won a raffle at work to get uh, extra time off the Southampton away. So very happy with that one to explain that context of that uh, remark. But yes, um, yeah, doing good. Obviously frustrated again with with the result, but we weren't expecting much more, were we? So there we go.
1: John, you were desperate to open this one. So I'm going to let you I'm going to let you have it. Go on.
2: Well, actually, what I was going to do, I, I think I said to you um, at 2 nil that I was desperate to open the pod today, so I could say in a very simple and declarative way, best side we played all season, move on, and then contrast that with Sam's inevitable subsequent meltdown. Uh, but I guess I actually kind of do have to talk a little bit more <laughs> about it than that, because of what happened after I said that, which was um, us kind of surprisingly coming back into the game. I mean, this, this football club never make anything simple, do they? Um, in- including... Uh, you know, trite analysis on the on the day after pod. Yeah, I mean, I thought I thought leads were absolutely the best side we have played this season i would um you know continue with that judgment uh even though they in the end didn't manage to convert that dominance into into a scoreline that reflected it um i think if we're being honest they probably didn't really get out of first gear for large portions of the game i felt they were sort of probably playing within themselves uh two nil and we you know it sort of looked when i when i did turn to you and say i wanted to open the pods they looked like one of those where we could play till christmas and not score that was uh, without counting on the Wayne train who came on and and to be fair to the lad made a huge huge difference and I'm sure we'll get onto his performance in isolation so I won't go into it too much yeah really well taken goal after excellent build up play first from Scar and then from Cundall you know a goal that was pretty much level with where we were sitting in real time so we had a good view of it but but watching it back the the technique in the in the cross from Cundall to like get it right onto Wayne's foot is is delicious it's a great goal And then suddenly out of nowhere having been thoroughly outclassed for the entire game we were right in with the shot. Um... And you know when you when you do score at Leeds, um, it, it's a fan base. You know, fair place and they make incredible noise. But but they can get nervy. They can start to turn on the team. Um, there's a lot of nervous energy coursing around that stadium. And so obviously, when that goal went in, still with you know a good ten plus minutes of the game to go, including time added on, I was actually thinking we had a real real chance of, of maybe getting something that would have been a hugely undeserved smash and grab. Um, and in the end, I think it's it's a testament to to you know how well we kept going that they were. As you put it in your introduction, baying for the full time whistle. Um, so yeah, but, but on the whole, you know, I think I think we should stress it would have been a smash and grab point. Leeds were again, you know, the best team we played this season. For my money, certainly a lot lot better than a certain tractor tinted side that we played uh, in our last uh, in our last away game. Um, they are going to be right right up there at the end of the season. Have no doubt about that whatsoever. I don't think there's any shame in going there and being outclassed. And I think actually, given that the last kind of 10, 15 minutes went the way they did, I think there's an awful lot of pride that we can take as well. You know, we didn't go up, heads didn't go down. The lads worked incredibly, incredibly hard. And and yeah, um, it, it is frustrating, as Sam said, to come out on the end of any defeat. Of course it is. We're not going into games looking to lose them. But, you know, I think we've had so many frustrating, genuinely frustrating defeats this season where we haven't deserved it yesterday wasn't one of those um you know i went into the game with the attitude that this is what being at this level is all about big big away days like like you know like that one um and yeah i was determined to basically enjoy it treat it as a free hit and, and i certainly don't I haven't come away like i have from other games this season uh again maybe the last away game before this one as well um you know furious that things haven't quite gone our way or or ruining um you know moments that, that weren't quite to be i think we were soundly beaten um the score probably flattered us a little bit, but but ultimately we can also take pride in that scoreline as as an indication of of, you know, i i never say die attitude. So yeah, not the result we wanted, of course, but on the whole, uh, not not the worst afternoon, uh, or the most consequential afternoon at the office that we'll have this season.
1: Sam, I saw you at half time basically sat with your head in your hands, shivering with anger. How did you see this one? In his
2: in his Tony Pulis <laughs> trench coat. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Um, yeah, I don't really disagree with John's analysis on this game. Um, I would add to it rather than disagree with it. I do think that Leeds in the first half hour absolutely blew us away. Those, those who listened to the Freeview pod and those who heard Joe's gentle ribbing of me talking about you know how effusive I was in my praise towards Leeds as a team from all than even this season, I think the first 25 minutes to half an hour, I was justified with that. They were absolutely incredible. The way they moved the ball... The, the patterns of play between their players is just light years ahead of most other teams in this league, and even average teams in this league are are light years ahead of teams in the league below. So, the leagues were just incredible against us. Um, Incredibleism is not too strong a word, I think. Um, they 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 played they they played some great passes but what led to them scoring two very well 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 worked goals. But even though they were well worked goals, there were still errors from our side, which we'll come on to in a minute. But I think the sheer quality of some of their players, I think um, some of the matchups against our players, um, Dan James against Kessler Hayden, I think it's one of those that if that was a boxing match, it would have been stopped because James was having the better of him so much. Somerville, again, fantastic. Pirro really had our, had our defenders, um, had Pega Um, made midsleet of him a couple of times. Camara um, K- in midfield, fantastic player, really dominated the ball. Um, controlled play. I think he was actually probably the man of the match over the ninety. because I think even in, in the second half when their attacking players faded out a bit, he was brilliant throughout the whole game. Um, Archie Gray, fantastic game of right-back, not even in his best position, 17 years of age. I think he'll go on to play for England for sure. Um, and Ampadu pretty good as well although we should have given away a penalty i'm sure we'll come to that and ref watch um but yeah leeds were fantastic um second half we did i, I like much like john i thought this is, this could be a quite a heavy thumping and and you know won't leave us as much to talk about but yeah second half we surprisingly came back into it i still wouldn't say we had many clear chances many clear sights of goal but we we certainly were more competitive we worked the ball into better areas we stood up to them a lot better um and then, obviously, a fantastic new work goal for, for the constellation. Um, Wayne, again, fair play to him. We'll talk about it before. It's in more depth, but yeah, good finish. Um, so, yeah, I agree with mostly what John said. What I would add to that analysis um, is as much as they were well worked goals by Leeds, as much as Leeds were brilliant, we did not help ourselves at all. And I know that could just be seen as like, you know, oh, I'm an Argyle podcaster, so I don't want to talk about how great Leeds are. I've got to say something about Argyle. But no, I don't think it is that because no matter how good a team are, Chelsea were were very good um, in the FA Cup. Liverpool were very good in the FA Cup. But that doesn't mean... But what we did not do in those games, we did do against Leeds... Excuse me. What we did not do in those games that we did do against Leeds was uh, hand them the initiative by stupidity of our own making, which we did do yesterday, unfortunately. Um, the first, the, the, the two goals were, were two big mistakes. The first one, it should have been a penalty anyway for a foul, I think, Routier. I'm not sure if it was him or Pirro, but the, the first one should have been a penalty anyway. Then when we were lucky enough for it not to be given a penalty, Kesley Hayden gets the ball and um, completely miskicks it right to the feet of, of Dan James, who um, has a great finish into the corner. I think Cooper didn't really die for it. And, I, you know, it's disappointing. You always want to see a keeper die for it. But I suppose, having watched it again um, in slow-mo, even if he had died for it, I think he probably wouldn't have got it because, like I said, it was a fine finish by James. He put it right into the corner. Um, yeah, then the second goal, Clegg um, it just absolutely is, is, is skinned. Um, it's too, too language. Just thinks he's got more time than he's got. Gets absolutely skinned. And then... Um, Piro goes in one on one with Cooper Cooper does the best he can to narrow the angle but yeah not enough so it's it's two going back to those two goals they're two stupid errors just like foio just caught you know picking daisies um and Kesla Hayden just passing the ball to James under that very slight pressure it wasn't strong pressure he was on from um camera but he just passed it straight to James and obviously play the Falo, get skinned. Um so that was disappointing. And when you know when you're playing against a team of such quality, the one thing you absolutely cannot do is give them two gifts. And unfortunately that was exactly what we did. Um so we were always going to be on the back foot at that point. And as much as the old cliche goes that two nil is the most dangerous score in football, the statistics show that if you two nil up you win the game 90% of the time. And that's what happened yesterday. Um, and certainly for a much better team than them. Sorry for a much better team for the If I could talk properly today, and with them being a much better team than us, doing the luck at home, they were almost certainly going to win the game, and indeed they did. So, yeah, disappointing, but um, mitigated by the fact that it was very strong opposition, and we got ourselves into the game, and we made it a tighter game than it probably had any right to be. And yeah, two-one flattered us, I think a little, but some positives to take from the game. Again, some positives. That's that's me.
2: Just quickly, uh, in the spirit of um, not disagreeing, but adding to Sam's analysis that obviously, yeah, while you don't want to be making individual errors and, and clearly handing them goals is a very counterproductive and stupid thing to do, I, I, I think that they played within themselves intentionally to some extent. And I think if the, if we hadn't made those mistakes, I think they would have found a way to unlock us and put the ball in the back of the net twice, probably, uh, anyway. Um, we made it easier for them, but like, I don't think... I don't think that, you know, that those errors were necessarily like totally decisive. Um, I think we let them accumulate a good lead over us and, you know, then they were able to put the slippers on and, and bring the cigar out or whatever the football cliches is for, for that one. Um, yeah, obviously that's that's a counterfactual, hard to prove. And, and obviously if we hadn't made those mistakes and we had been more disciplined, we could have frustrated them and the crowd could have turned and maybe we could have nicked a goal. But I think it's more likely than not that that they would have just fashioned other chances through their own quality, if not through our own sloppiness, and probably punished us at some at some point.
1: We'll keep it to just the two. Sorry, Dan. Um, as we know that Fraser finds all three of you giving your thoughts a bit boring. So Does he? Yeah, apparently.
3: It's good to get listener feedback, isn't it? Exactly. From our own contributors especially.
1: <laughs> yeah, so obviously um we put out the full time tweet. Other people have said, Ryan, Argyll Flyer says defensive errors gave him two goals, although they could have scored a lot more. Mistake not playing Wayne for him. He's good enough, looked better when we went to the 4 3 3. We're going to get onto a little tactics chat in a second, Dan. Um, Barry Evans says, A couple of mistakes cost us. I'm delighted for Ben Wayne. It seems to be a running theme. Let's find some from Facebook. Louise Hibbert says, Well done, Argo, and our 3,000 fans. I haven't had an enjoyable game and a nice weekend in Leeds. I'm proud of our performance considering we were two leagues apart last season um and um let's find another random one paul redfern says well, you'll always be a small club in cornwall that's nice thanks paul i don't know why i picked that one i should have read that first um <laughs> big words from a small club in doncaster isn't it exactly there are. they are famously in the same league as rotherham dan onto the tactics chat then obviously schumacher named his starting 11 switching back to the back five for this one peg slotting in alongside gibson and scar no Ben Wayne. I initially thought that signalled Whittaker through the middle, but no, Cundall started in that false nine. Do, do you think we set up correctly? And what did you make of Luke Cundall's role? It was interesting. Like like you say, in possession, yeah, that was our setup. But I did notice that it
3: was almost like a um, uh, Whittaker would kind of drop onto the right, back onto the kind of left side when we were out of possession and sometimes played a bit of a kind of 4 press to kind of restrict them and keep our shape. It's difficult to say. I, I was kind of advocating before the game of a bit of a kind of Derek Adams as a one-off because I really like the way we we often um, set up and approach games and are aggressive and, and try and play through teams. I think it's, it's brilliant to watch and it has got us a reasonable points total so far this season as well. Uh, but on this one, one instance, I was thinking, they're so good. Let's just try and play a bit of a kind of almost like a back six, you know, which Derek used to do with the wingers sitting right in and just doubling up on opposition wingers to help the fullback out. Fullback sits in narrower um, to almost play like four centre-backs and then and, and just, just sit in a low block and hope for the best, really, which under Derek, it did work on occasions. But it, it does make sense playing three at the back, I think, at the minute with the fact that it um, brings Dan Scar back into the middle, which is probably his best position, uh, potentially Mumba to wing back, which is potentially his best position, and allows us to have Houghton, Randall, Azaz and Cundal on the pitch all at the same time. But I still think at the minute, and in, in general speaking, I think probably, I'm still keen to see a kind of a two up front or a, a kind of just want playing one just off the other, just because as good as Ben Wayne was and, and absolutely really good performance off the bench from yesterday, uh, especially after the kind of a, a little bit quiet to start with, but then he really got into it, won some headers, drew their centre-backs around a bit. I, I, I still think because we don't have a Hardy or a Bundy who can play that lone role as naturally, I still think it would be good to have two up front. And especially yesterday, it's difficult because... Our formation and our passing style is very, very good when it works. It is seen as play some wonderful football, obviously score a lot of goals in, in uh, relative to the rest of the league. But it does really require players to be on it. And the frustration for me yesterday was the first 25 minutes, we were just a little bit... I think we... I don't want to say scared on the ball because that implies a lack of a lack of balls basically and I think this team is very ballsy but I just wonder if it was a little bit of a kind of we know we were up against we know we're not going to see a lot of the ball we know therefore when we do get it in decent areas we have got to make the most of it and and really you know capitalize on that and 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 pick out perfect passes as a result we just didn't seem to quite be on it in terms of our uh, individual players first touches and um and passing quality, and then also kind of interchange as well between players. It just wasn't quite there. Finizaz was trying some things. Luke Cundall was trying some things. It didn't quite come off, which was frustrating, because I know we're better than that uh, normally. Um, We really did grow into the game, and and, um, as we started to kind of transition from just purely trying to play out from the back, which was always going to be difficult against such a good Leeds press, um we profited a bit more and that's where our goal came from nice ball down the channel from scar good peel out wide from cundor great ball in easy finish for wayne are we able to just mix styles a bit more often so that we can we can offer a different dynamic against teams when we're trying to play through a really good high press and our quality on the ball isn't quite there it's just going to put ourselves under so much pressure that's where both goals came from I, I, like I say, I really like how we're playing, but it's just, it, it will get us into trouble at times and cost us goals. If we can mix styles and just shove things down channels, play a bit more direct at times, I think we'll really be able to profit from that. Um, and as part of that, without a natural target man in the team, that does mean um, probably going two up front, having two strikers, pulling wide, getting in the channels um, and getting us up the pitch that way. In answer to your question, which seemed like a long time ago now... <laughs> possibly not but as the others have said it was a free hit you know to come out of that with a two-1 defeat is almost whilst I don't want to lose games ever is almost almost a bit of a result if you know what I mean
4: just to kind of add a further thing to that um what's quite interesting and again I, um it's gonna sound a bit weird at first but bear with me in terms of how we Frozen in the first 25 minutes both defensively in terms of making big mistakes and also going forward it put me in mind of a very interesting aspect of um i don't know if any of you have ever watched the arsenal all or nothing documentary i know john has but i don't know how many of the listeners have and I, um by yeah i'll let john do his mikel arteta impression if he wants then i'll resume my point um
2: i've gone uh camera shy on that one find me in the pub
4: fair enough okay so at as to the listeners of, have watched it or not, one of the it was a very, was a very interesting John. I would recommend it. And as far as I know, we're not being sponsored by Amazon so this is an entirely sincere recommendation. One of the things, when, when Arsenal were playing at Anfield, Arteta gave a very insightful interview where he said that the, the about the Spanish concept of paraja, which I've probably not said that in the right Spanish accent, but it's spelled P-A-R-A-J-A, um, which is a cycling term. That when you basically as an athlete, you you when you're going fine, you're going, you know. You're full of energy, and then you suddenly lose all confidence, lose all energy, and you become almost overawed by the occasion. Is Um, and and basically, <laughs> he said the only the, is that uh, is that similar
2: is that is that similar to the Spanish term the yips? What? That's, well, that's the, that's the American way of saying the same thing, isn't it? Or a very <laughs> similar concept.
4: Oh yeah, so Anyway, But anyway, we we had yeah. Anyway, for, for listeners,
2: Aaron has lost it here at the concept of paraha.
4: Paraha. And so, but but. Arteta said, and if I can get back to the point, because I think it is an important one, the only time he'd experienced Paraha as a player was at Anfield, because it was such a big stadium, loud stadium, daunting fans, um, roaring every moment on, um, and, and he just sunk under the occasion. And in preparation for Arsenal playing there, he got his players to train with you'll never walk alone and Liverpool crowd noises in the background. Now, do I think Shuey should have done that? No, probably not, because
3: no because we were playing leeds mate not liverpool
2: yeah yeah okay okay okay, very very funny i'm just picturing i'm just picturing luke cundall running around harper's park next to a like cardboard cutout of junior furpo with marching on together (laughs) flaring out for the (laughs) speaker
4: anyway but do i think no because quite aside anything else he didn't actually work for us so they went on to lose that game even if he didn't have the right solution he diagnosed a, a very interesting problem which is that on big, almost like dangerous feeling, not danger in the sense of physical danger, but the kind of where the sense of fear is palpable that the home crowd are are roaring roaring the home team on and, and you know, they're really going to get on your back and, and it's, it's you against the 40-odd thousand people in that stadium. On those occasions, that concept of paraha can come into play, whereby we just completely freeze, our legs start to wobble, heads go on the occasion and, they, and we're just nowhere near playing to our full capability i nowhere near trusting our processes, and I think that happened both in the defensive sense and the attacking sense. Just because it's it's such a loud stadium, it's such a big stadium, um, and and I think we we did have that that mental freeze, that mental collapse, and maybe whatever has to happen to ensure that doesn't happen again. If we get you know, there's probably not a ground in in the country um, or certainly in the championship quite like Ellen Road. So, unless we get them in the cup, we're probably not we're not going to go there again for games like that in similar places like you'd know, like to Sunderland. Um, Leicester, whether you call it Paraha, whether you want to call it the Yips, whether you want to call it, um, you know, the lights being too bright for us, whatever you want to call it, I think it is a little bit worrying how we just sort of wobbled un- under the big occasion. And it's important that whatever whatever the lead up to the next game like that is, we don't let that happen again. And I'm sure I'm, sure, I'm glad you all found that funny, but I thought that was an interesting point worth making.
2: A cursory Google, sorry, just indicates that it's actually than well, <laughs> Paraha. Um oh, pahara, oh, well, not to make a um point about it uh, <laughs> about the Sam's language skills
4: I've, I've said it wrong the whole time but pa- pahara, pahara, there we go I think even if you don't know the name of the concept listeners I'm sure you'll know what the concept is that I'm, that I'm describing so, so there we go, pahara, there we are
3: Well I don't, that implies that our players don't have any balls and I don't, I don't think that's fair, I think, you know, we, we've shown countless times over the past 18 months how gutsy this team is do you not think that's a little bit, sounds a bit... Well... Look, it's, called, it's called Home Advantage for a reason, and as proven by the, the game that sticks in my mind from the last week to prove that was the um, Copenhagen-United game, because Copenhagen were terrible, and then all of a sudden, that red card just changed like a light switch, changed the atmosphere of the fans and the whole feeling of the game. All of a sudden, United were on the ropes, and Copenhagen battered them twice. But... You know, does that not kind of give out the message that we're a little bit spineless and we can't kind of cope with pressure? Because the last twelve months surely haven't taught that taught us that.
4: Well, no, I wouldn't say so because I think I think if it's that, that then if 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 that's what you're I think if what you're describing was what i was saying, then I would be saying it about every game. And I'm not saying about every game far from it. I'm saying it, I think about this game. There was something so unique about Ellen Road and the atmosphere and the sense of fear that it creates that it was something that required special preparation. Um, like it like in cycling. I'm sure, you know, that there could be cyclists who are, which is where the term comes from, there are cyclists who are incredibly brave and gutsy and who push themselves to the absolute limit. But there are certain moments where the pahara kicks in. And and yeah, I, I think I think that it's not to say that we are generally mentally weak. It's just to say that I I've never really seen us completely freeze under the bright lights. So, um, certainly not in recent times. Like like that first twenty five on Saturday, and also to our credit, uh, which again I think you know you can walk and chew gum at the same time. Here. You can still make the point of making or saying our mentality is generally very good. We turned it right around, and yeah, in the second half we we absolutely went toe to toe with them. So I think it is still possible to say that happened, and still say there's a lot to admire about this team mentally. We just had a bit of a, a bit of a freeze that that's that's my only point well i think i, know, Leeds, um,
3: I think the main reason leads one is because of all their um parachute payments they've had over the last couple of years
4: <laughs> very very good very good
2: i don't know if uh, i don't know if any of our listeners are familiar with the spanish concept of cojones but that is um how i would summarize what <laughs> sam has just said <laughs>
4: <laughs> Aaron, 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 for the listener that Aaron is just sort of there with his head in his hands trying to hold back the laughter but I'll, uh, I'll let him move on to the next question because I'm sure I've horrifically diverted the podcast with that little intervention so there we go
1: no <laughs> oh, it's not even that funny <laughs> enjoyed it uh, on that, if if we were to do the Mikel Arteta-style training ground routine, we'd, we'd need one hell of a PA system because that was incredibly loud yesterday. The, the, the first question... Oh, God, I can't find it now. Brilliant. Um, the first question um, comes from Duke of Devonshire. It basically, you know, we're 2, two nil down... Uh, within thirty minutes, both goals basically gifted themselves them so, I and mean, you've basically already covered this in your your intro. but um are other defensive issues we're we're experiencing down to all of our own making, or are they a reflection of how good the attacking threat is in this league? Or to summarize it, how Duke of Devonshire asked it, why are we so crap at the back? I don't know who wants that
3: one. I think it's both, to be really honest. Um, and and we're not we're not crap at the back. It, the last three games we have come up against three quality attacks. To concede eight against those is obviously not ideal, but they're just very, very good attacking teams and individuals and managers. It's, it's brutally tough, this division, as we were warned it would be. I'm still really enjoying the challenge, but it is it is really difficult. But kind of following on from what I said, it, it is of our own doing, but it, it's it's difficult because I don't want us to just... I don't know, I'm sure Shui doesn't either... Abandon our approach of trying to play out from the back in exchange for just hoofing it up the pitch because I don't think that's the best how that's how we get the best out of the squad that we've got. And and it's to our massive credit that we've come up a division and tried to play a very passing style. But if we were able against a very, very good press and when we're not quite on our game um passing-wise, like we were for 25 minutes yesterday. If we did have the option of an outball, you know, to kind of play a more direct style to, to beat that press, knock it long, try and get someone to either peel into a bit of space or just be able to hold off a centre-back and then bring our attacking players into play from there, that's that cuts that problem out. But it is, but it is difficult, especially in the minute without, you know, Hardy or Bundu's ability to... Wayne has some real attributes, but he doesn't have the ability of Hardy, Hardy or Bundu, for me, either peeling in behind with real kind of express pace um, and getting us up the p- pitch that way with the ball over the top, or especially dropping into those little pockets of space between lines, um, receiving the ball and linking play. That's the... that it, it, it's, it's always difficult for us at the minute, but I, I, I think people need to lay off our defence a little bit. It's not ideal. We are shipping more goals than is ideal, but there are reasons for that far beyond just writing off our defence as crap. That's unfair, if you ask me.
1: Okay, on that then. (laughs) Um, I'm not overly keen on digging out players individually, especially given in a a game that no no one genuinely believed we were actually going to go and get anything from. However, John... It wasn't Kane Kessler Hayden's finest day at the office,
2: was it? Why Why are you coming to me? Making making a point about how you don't want to dig out individual players, so I'll have John do it instead. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, no, it was it was not. I think Sam Sam might have a more interesting opinion on uh, Kane Kessler Hayden than I do, or, or a more absolutist one. Not not wishing to pass the buck. Um, I still think he's a very talented player who's got a lot of good attributes. At this level, but I think this
1: he's got a bit of sloppiness in him at times, and, and certainly yesterday. How do we stop him like blowing hot and cold then? Because some games he looks very good. I'm not going to say incredible, but he looks very good.
4: Seeing as I've, I've, I've been invited to speak, I'll, I'll kind of give my view on that then. Um, do I think he's just a player who absolutely flat out doesn't have any attributes for this level? No. I think in the month of August, you know, before the international break, he was largely pretty good. Um, certainly more good, more good things than bad things, without a doubt. He could tackle well. He he was his past selection was pretty good in that spell. He got up and down the line. So I don't think for a minute it's just a, a case of a player who flat out, you know, can't even be competitive in the championship because he has had good games. Unfortunately, since that first international break. In the kind of, good well, we've obviously had three sort of phases of this season, haven't we? And, and now there was going to be a fourth after the international break. I think in the kind of second and third, um, third stage of this, of this season, obviously between the two international breaks and then after the most recent international break going into the next one, he's put in far more poor performances than good ones. And I think our better performances, certainly like the Norwich game, for example, have come without him being in the team. Yeah. Um, decision-making is, is really quite a way off it. Unfortunately, he he will get the ball in, in a really good area and then he'll... It's almost like it's... um, It's like we talk of Sui Roulette for the team. It's like Keds Lane and Roulette with what he's going to do with the ball. Like, he'll often run when he should pass and pass when he should run. And, um, and you know, from the attacking point of view, as much as he is quick and he gets us up there and he actually is dribbling, It's it's perfectly capable. He keeps the ball to his feet pretty well his decision-making is poor and defensively. Unfortunately, he's becoming, I think, quite a bit of a liability. He's um, often often too high up, which then gets him caught in behind, which I think, you know, it, it's to some extent a product of the system. But I think also to an extent, sometimes lack of concentration. I think his, his, his man-marking leaves an awful lot to be desired. Um, and I think he... The playing out in the box can often cause us a lot of problems, like the one I mentioned for the first goal yesterday, but also the Sheffield Wednesday game, which was the game that we did win. Um, I think it was quite, quite poor in in that game as well, um, to be honest with you. So yeah, I think I think he is somebody who I think is is at the minute doing more bad things than good things, if if I'm completely honest about it. Um and yeah, I do think he probably needs to run out of the team. I'm not saying, you know, send them back to Villa, and never play him again, because I think he has shown some, that he does have some good points about him, but I think it's been quite a sustained spell of poor performances now. And I think Joe Edwards, who... Look, is he is he a championship player in the sense of would he get into many other teams in the league? No. No, he, he he's quite limited in that regard. But I think he, even though he may not quite have the highs of Kessel Hayden on his best days, he also doesn't have the lows of Kessel Hayden on his worst days. I think he's... A, he is, as his nickname goes, Steady Eddie, isn't he? He's somebody who will put in a baseline level of performance. He rarely drops below. Even when he was having a really bad game, like at Watford earlier in the season, he was getting torn a bit of a new one in the first half. He really adapted to it. He dropped that a bit deeper. He he began to anticipate the runs a bit better and he pulled it back during the game. And, and I think his leadership and standard of professionalism is something that broadly does permeate itself to the other players. And again, I... Haven't fully checked the stats the back and start, but we were talking, well, Joe was talking the other day about Randall's sort of plus and minus record, our, our, our record when Randall's in the team must be pretty good. I think that's probably true of Edwards as well. And I know this again, I'm diverting a bit away from the question, but the point I'm making is I really think for the, for the coming games, I, Edwards needs to spell back in the team because ultimately at the start of the season, there was a lot of a debate around, do we pick people who are in theory better players? But may not have the same leadership, or do we have, or do we pick someone who's a, a safe pair of hands? Really permeates that leadership forward, even though he might not have the same skill set or the same pace. So far, we've gone for the first option, and I don't think it's really paid off. I think Edwards needs to be in the team more. I think Kessler Hayden is, is making too many mistakes for now. I think he needs a spell on the bench, maybe a spell coming on in games. If if we're you know if if we need a player with a skill set. Yeah, I don't think he's playing well to be honest, and and that yesterday was just the latest in a long line of many games where he wasn't quite up to the standards. In my opinion.
1: oh, that was an abrupt finish. But obviously, Sam as well. You know, Mikael Miller missed out on that one. He'll be back um, for Sunderland, won't he? So obviously, maybe maybe we do start with the back four and Joe Edwards with Mikael Miller on the left. Maybe that's how we that's how we target that one.
3: One I, one thing, if I'm right to jump in there, Aaron, oh, um, sure. I would say. KKH has has been criticised for obviously the the uh, mistake for the goal yesterday. It is just worth pointing out that you know whilst I appreciate first of all that Kesler Hayden hasn't been on great form recently, and that Miller had a couple of good games at left back. You know uh, earlier in this in this kind of run of games for the Middlesbrough game, <laughs> Miller made a number of errors which either did cost us goals or could easily have um, cost us in the match in that Middlesbrough game. Uh, the first goal, he got caught too high up, went too tight to his marker, let him in behind, and that led to their um, led to them working their way into the box and scoring. Um, and then there were two others, um, the foul right on the edge of or just inside the box in the second half, which should have been a penalty and or a red card. And also... Um, when we had a had a corner which was cleared out to him on the halfway line, he mistrapped the ball. Middlesbrough broke, and if it wasn't for a brilliant last ditch interception by guess who, Kesler Hayden, they would would almost certainly have scored. So I'm not. <laughs> I feel like I'm probably going too far the other way just because I think Miller has got a lot of credit, which he a lot of it he's deserved, um, and Kesler Hayden has got a lot of stick. I just think there's not. I wonder if a lot of people are kind of, you know, put Miller on a bit of a pedestal and are really kind of kicking Kesler Hayden. Whereas actually I don't think there's that much between the two players at all.
2: I, um, I, I think Kesler Hayden is better than Miller
3: there. I said it. I think I, I quite possibly agree with you. Yeah. I'm not, I, I've been impressed by Miller a lot uh, in the last couple of weeks, but uh, there's probably some recency bias in that because before that, I wasn't impressed with him at fullback at all. So, yeah, I I I would be inclined to agree with you, but I'm at the minute uh, it's probably difficult to pick between the two of them.
1: There you go, Sam. You've been outvoted two to one. Well if to be
4: fair if we if we if if we
1: played 3-4-3 three, three, and I
4: and I know that yesterday we were actually better with 4-3-3 three, three, which I'd be scoped against my wider argument but if we played three, 3-4-3 three, which I still believe we usually should if not always then um I probably would just go Edwards and Mumber as the wing backs and play neither Miller nor Kessel Hayden but have them both as
1: impact sub options there we go. Oh there we go. Bin them both says Sam down. Um <laughs> onto onto the 4-3-3 three, three, then um obviously Schumacher makes Uh, those changes have to give him some credit for that. Obviously, for allowing us to be more competitive, but obviously we do need to factor in the fact that Leeds sat off us a bit and allowed us a bit more time on the ball too. Obviously, Ben Wayne and Callum Wright were my two standouts from the bench, um, appeared to drag us up that pitch a little bit more, and Wayne provided a bit more of a a vocal focus point. After, obviously, Ben Wayne as well, notching his first championship goal of his career, I'll give you this one, John, why not... Is uh, O Wellington, so you can guess where their allegiances lie. Ask: Is Ben Wayne the best ever?
2: The the best ever.
1: What the best ever? Ki-
2: Kiwi striker we've had in the championship. I mean, no, he's not. <laughs> I just realised he's not. Um, oh, I'm so sorry, Rory Fallon fans pricking their ears up there. Just, just quickly, I will come on to Wayne who I think deserves an immense amount of credit for yesterday. Uh, but would say before that, that when you mentioned the substitutes who were standouts, I really thought Freddy Osaka did fantastically well. He's next. Uh, pre-empted oh, the question okay. again. Well, you did You did literally say that your standout subs didn't include him. So I figured I would, I would fight for him well, in that capacity. Um, but yeah, to, to, to return to the question on Wayne, uh, no, he's not the best ever. But he, um, I thought, showed yesterday that he's got... Yeah, I, I have long said about, about Ben Wayne, probably on this podcast, certainly in private conversations, I really think he has something. That something I think is tenaciousness, or tenacity even, to use the correct word. Um, I think he's got an eye for goal. He's got good positioning. I think he's eager. I think it's undeniable there have been quite a lot of games in which he's struggled for us. I also think he hasn't had the sort of run in the team which I think would allow you to arrive at a kind of definitive judgment on him as a good signing versus not. One of the criticisms I think that is undeniable uh, with all of that said is that he, he's not necessarily always looked like the best impact sub off the bench yesterday. I thought he really was um, as you, uh, as you tried. And I think just about failed to say he was um, a, a real focal point up front. And it came where we, right. uh,
1: hell. In where we had been missing that. Mr. Right for a living. Those words. All right. <laughs> yeah
2: the, the temerity um sam knows words in multiple languages let's be fair so i need to i need to take a back seat on that one but uh, no he gave us a focal point up front when he came on i think he gave a lot more structure to the team he took his goal really really well i mean it's a it's a pretty you know one that if you'd missed it you'd be very disappointed but it's um you know he's, he's kept up with play really well he's in he's taken up a great position and when he's picked out he's it's not it's not you know it's not a total tap in right he still has to kind of Make sure he gets good contact on it and and turn it in. You know, a, a sort of aerial ball. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a fairly easy finish, but but one I think where he got himself in the right place to do it, and, and and that kind of puts it down to me as as a good goal. He also won the ball in the air a few times, which we which I think was useful as we sort of switched to a slightly more direct style, as um either Dan or Sam alluded to earlier. Um, at, le- at least at times. And and once again, you know the thing you can never accuse him of is is not trying, not being willing. He, he was all of those things once again. So, I, I you know I'm not going to sit here and and pretend that I would have started Wayne yesterday. In fact, I actually said on on the train up to a friend of ours that the the exact lineup that ended up starting would be the one that I would play. Uh, albeit my kind of supposition with that as I think everyone else's was, would have been that Whittaker would have played through in the middle more as a striker. In the end, we sort of didn't really have a striker. And I think that for the reasons Dan laid out earlier, we just looked like when we actually did have those rare moments where we went on forays forward in the first half, it looked like we were sort of desperately wanting someone to run in behind and kind of have that final option that we usually do. And, and it just wasn't there. And, and we sort of petered out. Wayne, um, I'm not saying... You know, necessarily would have been that option running in behind. I don't think he's as good at it as Ryan Hardy is, for example. But you know, in hindsight, and again, hindsight is twenty twenty. He may have given us a bit more structure from the start. I don't, you know, think it likely would have would have changed the result of the game because, as I said earlier, I think Leeds were that good that you know a, a number of different ways in which that game could have played out. I think they would have found the gear needed to to beat us. But but I think you know one of those things that maybe where we did tie a hand behind our own back, not just the defensive mistakes, maybe was being a little under ambitious on the on the going forward side of things so so i'm not going to criticize sherry for not starting wayne because i wouldn't have done either um but i think in hindsight it, it probably would have been better if he had started and certainly yeah when he came on it's it's one of his more positive performances in an argyle shirt um delighted for him to get the goal so yeah in answer to the question the greatest ever finding it hard to think of a metric on which that would be that, that, that would be true um blonde haired
4: championship strikers Argyle has uh... New, Zealand. Uh... New Zealand. New Zealand, I meant to say. <laughs> I completely gassed up the execution of that joke of. But yeah, um, honestly before I can't immediately remember any other strikers with blonde hair at all, so that may still be correct. Uh Paul Gallagher, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Paul Gallagher's definitely our best blonde haired championship striker. But Ben Wayne's our best blonde haired Kiwi championship striker. There we go.
2: Nathan Low.
4: Definitely Ginger rather than rather than blonde. Um if I can just give my two pennies worth on on on, on Wayne, because I feel I, I may be one of the ones who's criticised him the most on the podcast. One thing I did say after last week's podcast is that I still would have started at Ellen Road, just because I think when you move someone in there who's not a natural striker, kind of anticipating it would be Whitaker. but I know Whitaker actually interchanged with Cundall quite a few times throughout the game. I think Cundall was actually the one who was officially marked as being the central striker, even though Whittaker I think played there quite a bit. A, you kind of take them both away from, from where they're best. And I think Cundle was definitely better when he was moved, as, you know, away from the striker role fully in the second half. And Whittaker, we know how brilliant he's been this season in his best position. When you kind of faff about having someone there who's not a striker, kind of kind of is a half striker and whatever, unless that's actually part of your game plan, to play with a false line like it was suspended, if it's just something you do as like a fudge because you don't really want to play weight there, I think we do more harm than good because, as, as critical as I was of Wayne, and I have been of Wayne, I did very much say I think we need to give him at least one more chance to live in the road because you, you you lose a lot moving other players out of their best position and you don't really gain a lot from doing so. Because did did, did Cundle come deep and link up play better than Wayne did in the middle of the game? Yes, slightly. Not he would, he wasn't loads better than Wayne in the middle of the game. And also, furthermore, it took him away from other areas of the pitch where he was needed. So I, I think it was a mistake not starting him. And I think after the what, what was a good performance off the bench, and it was a good performance off the bench, he should be given a start in the Sunderland game because Wayne learned from where he went wrong in the the game. Because in the the game, one of the main criticisms was he just didn't get himself involved enough. And a lot of people sort of pushed back on that and said, oh, no, it wasn't that he didn't get himself involved enough. It was that he just didn't get the right service, which... I disagree on because part of a striker's job is to bring yourself and You've got to make the right runs. You've got to position yourself well. And Shui even said as much. He said we spoke to Weino about where he could have positioned himself better. But he learned from that. After a quiet first five or ten off the bench, he, he was much better in, in that. He pulled the defenders out of position. He, he was a menace in his movement. He, he even won a header, which given the, the sort of size and build of him is quite a rarity. Uh, won, I think won, won a couple of free kicks from good movement um, as well. Um, yeah, and, and of course, scored a goal, so much better performance from him. Um, probably, probably one of the best he's played off the bench for us. Yeah, he's got something casually. I think I'm trying to give him as much credit as I can because I want to be fair to him and not just criticize him. Despite how frustrating he can be at times, his goal per minute for us has got to be pretty good if you count the cup goals as well, because he, he, he's had a Five, ten minutes off the bench. I know it's which he was on for quite a bit longer, and yesterday he was on for quite a bit longer as well. But generally his substitute appearances have not been for long. They've generally only been after about the eightieth minute or so. And I just think, yeah, he's got a lot of goals for somebody who's only actually made two starts in the League Cup, and I think I think three starts in the league games, obviously Sheffield, Wednesday, Bristol City, and Middlesbrough. And obviously, you know, the Pizza Cup as well. He, the fact he's got six goal us, he's actually pretty good given the number of minutes he's played. Probably is one of the best goals for minutes ratios sure at the club. And naturally, you would probably expect the striker to have one of the better goal for minutes ratios sure at the club. But it still shows to me that for all the stuff he doesn't do very well, he he has he is a poacher and he has got goals in him. So I think, yeah, give him another chance because we don't want to rush Hardy and Bundu back, even if Hardy and Bundu are ostensibly fit to play hamstrings are a nightmare if you rush them back because that could so easily get aggravated and you could be looking at another two months back. So I think start Wayne against Sunderland. Hopefully we'll have one or both of Harvey or Bundy to come off the bench. But um, start Wayne, see how he does. And let's just hope that another one falls his way in the penalty box like it did because he's definitely got qualities in that area. That is what his skill set is and long may it continue.
1: It's a game of two halves and so is this podcast. So it's time for a break. <laughs> We'll be right back after this advert that's trying to sell you something.
0: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: Dan, Jack Anstey, really sorry, I'm really bad with words and names, um, which really helps hosting a podcast. Isn't that Taylor
2: Swift's producer? That's one one for the Swifties listening, of which there are probably very few.
1: Okay, well, we can can use that as um, bait to get some more to listen. Jack Anstey asks, is Osaka one of the most exciting and the most promising youngsters we've ever had?
3: I'd love to say so, and he is a very promising young player. I think it's brilliant that he's being trusted to be involved um, in first team matters at his his very young age. Let's just temper expectations on him for now. He's he's a very, very talented player. You okay?
1: No, I just looked up Taylor Swift songs to use um, as puns and she's just got a song that's called Slut and it made me laugh. Sorry, carry on. The level of discourse on this podcast.
3: Oh my god! This is going off on massive tangents. It's like the Tifo podcast. This is this is going off on ridiculous tangents all the time.
2: I have to say, uh, my um, a pun you could use could be Fred Taylor's version. I have that one for free.
1: Okay. Anyway,
2: the album. The album. <sighs> the album's called Red.
1: Ooh, tough
3: crowd. Let's just shake it off and let's let's go again. Um, <laughs> what we're we talking about is <laughs> Yeah, I, I I really want I really want to say that he is. I really want to say you know he's he's going to be a multi-million pound player and he's going to be he's going to be a pivotal part of our future. Or he's going to make us a lot of money, but it's it's just such early days, you know, through a variety of factors, often outside the control of that player themselves. I, I'm kind of springing to mind back in our kind of admin days of ten years ago. We had uh, Matt Leconte, who was a massively promising young player, played for England at youth level, and then sadly through injuries the guy retired within a couple of years which is um yeah really unfortunate you know so i don't want to kind of plant my flag and say yeah he's definitely going to be a a, a pivotal part of our future when you know it is it is too early to say but let's see hopefully he'll, he'll continue to get some minutes as we go along this season especially with our striker shortage at the minute um with our misfortune with injuries it's um he he will have more opportunities i'm sure but if it comes to january or next season and we're we have more bodies in that department, and he comes goes down the pecking order a little bit. then we should definitely look to loan him out, possibly to you know kind of league two level um and see how he see how he goes. So let's not you know put too much pressure on him and and too
2: much uh, onus on him too early. I mentioned Taylor Swift, but really i'm', I'm more of a paharamore fan.
1: <laughs> oh, this is awful.
2: Yeah, mis- Misery Business is a good uh, summary of Sam Downs' usual outlook
1: on, on all matters, Plymouth Argyle. Yeah, no, you're not wrong there. You're not wrong there. John, Sam's basically already covered this, and it's really annoying because um, in the midweek preview podcast, he waxed lyrical and ran through basically every Leeds United player declaring his love for them all, but someone I don't think he mentioned but has since mentioned in this pod. And and you said to me that in the second half, it is one of the best players you've ever seen at this level you want to wax lyrical about Glenn Kamara.
2: Do I want to, uh, I mean, very, very briefly. Um, yeah, I, th- I think Kamara is one of the best players I've ever seen in the championship in the flesh, just in terms of that performance. I think sometimes players can be underrated when they are have such a kind of metronomic effect on a team, but, you know, don't do the kind of flashy dribbles and goal scoring and whatever. But I, I'm struggling to recall a time he misplaced a pass or, or lost the ball. Everything he did, I just thought was effective, intelligent, neat and tidy, kept the team t- ticking over. Yeah, brilliant. I-, I think I think we should we should also note, by the way, that like some of the players in that squad cost conceivably more than our entire squad put together, right? I think Jorginho Ruter was thirty five million pounds. At least that was the kind of stick sticker price that was quoted when they signed him. You know, I haven't calculated the, the kind of most recent transfer value of, of the players in our in our team and obviously that's a bit of a limited metric due to you know player development and, and value is as sam has i think explained quite well in the past pretty subjective and then depends on what club you play for and all the rest of it but yes i mean cl- pretty clearly that is more money than um a, you know, three times probably what our first team out there yesterday would be um or you know worth but at least by some metrics yeah so so i think we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that you know while we might wax lyrical about their players they have just unbelievably more resources than we do and so for us to you know to go not exactly toe-to-toe with them because as i explained earlier i think they were much the better side but to to at least be in the game right until the end once again at this level is and then you know again literally once in 16 games have we been pretty much out of the game with it going you know into the last 10 minutes or, or so and even in that game against bristol city we actually did have some chances to score late on that were pretty presentable so yeah, to, to, to once again be in a game against the side with incomparable resources to us, I think, is quite heartening.
1: Yeah, just transfer Transfermarkt, um, just using that as a gauge, and, and like you said, it's sort of flexible, but their total market value is about nine times ours. Ours is surprisingly 22.38 million, which is obviously more than uh, what their striker cost them. So. One of my
4: interesting football facts I have on that is that... Um, Dan James is actually the only player who Man United bought and sold for a profit in the post-Ferguson era. Now, admittedly, that says more about how um, how bad Man United's business has been under a lot of those managers. But again, it um, the reason I mention that stat is Leeds signing for £25 million. Um uh, Crikey, I mean he wasn't their only, you know, expensive big money signing. I mean, Nonto didn't even come on, did he? Sorry, sorry he did come on, but he didn't even start, I mean, to say. So the, the sheer value of their team compared to ours, it's financially, it was a, a total mismatch, wasn't it? It's, and and it's, it is worth noting that for all, I can be a bit frustrated about certain aspects of not quite closing games out. I suppose, objectively, the fact we are even going toe-to-toe with a lot of these teams is, is an achievement in itself. And I, I guess we, we shouldn't forget that.
1: You say that though, we both brought on um, internationally recognized strikers and ours actually scored. So, you know, maybe ours is better.
4: Uh, Well, who knows? I wonder who will end
2: up. uh... Ben Wayne is the best ever international substitute in yesterday's game at Ellen Road to score a goal. There we go.
1: There we go. We found. Oh,
2: oh, well, oh, Wellington can can have that one. The t shirts are available.
1: Moving on to some questions then. Andrew Willis says, am I looking through green-tinted spectacles or did the officials give the benefit of the doubt to the big club on every marginal decision? I'm not sure I completely agree with that, but I don't know who wants ref Watch this week. I know that, that Mike friend,
2: Dean... Yeah, our friend Mike Dean, I was going to say. You got, I assume you've got him on the line, Aaron.
1: Yeah, yeah. Mike Dean of Sky Sports fame now. Agreed that we should have had a pen. But to be honest, I think they leveled themselves out but and i don't really care that much about refereeing decisions i don't know who wants ref watch
2: to jump in quickly i I didn't necessarily think that i noticed the ref too much yesterday normally i sort of you know you sort of measure my reaction to the ref in as a function of like number of spontaneous angry outbursts that i have over the course of a game ipswich being kind of you know off the scale at the top end of the chart for example <laughs> um and i and i think i think i literally had one quite late on and it was I think it was after I want to say Rute, what well, certainly one of their players basically did a stonewall yellow card tackle while one of our players like, I can't really remember who was was running away from him in the middle of the pitch and looking to launch an attack uh, and didn't get booked even though we had done that tackle about 3 times and correctly it had been booked every single time so so that was the one that I remember as being an imbalance with the penalty incident maybe others will have a different view I I didn't have a massively great view of it in real time can't say it left me hopping mad particularly and having watched it back quite a number of times from a number of angles i just find it a little bit inconclusive honestly like i certainly think it's clumsy from from um certainly seen them given let's let's use that football cliche on on that one but um you know i think if that had been given against us you're probably going to chide the defender for being clumsy but also maybe say at the same time, you know, not necessarily the most Stonewall penalty you've ever seen. So I don't know if others have a, have a stronger view on that. But, you know, can be, if, if that versus the Ipswich red card incident is, is just a, you know, huge world of difference in terms of how bad and costly a decision it was for
1: us. Let's put it that way. Has anybody got a contrarian view? Sam, you usually have a contrarian view.
4: Um, I'd just say that I think we should have had a penalty, but they should have as well. But then they, again, they just had, we talk a lot about the banks of the ball and the run of luck with them, their penalty that they were unfairly denied. Then Kesley then scooped it to, to James and scored. But whereas with our penalty that we were unfairly denied, they, they easily then managed to clear it up the, the other way. So, yeah, um, some yeah bounce of the ball didn't really go our way, but purely on the basis of refereeing decisions, I think both sides should have had penalties. So it was two mistakes, but they both evened out. And and again, I'm not going to slate the ref too much because I've always said it's a very very difficult game indeed. Um, it's so easy when you have the benefit of all these different angles and slow mo to to castigate the ref. Um, from the referee's point of view, it probably looked like Ampadu had won the ball. So that
2: whatever, um, didn't really I win can, or lose the game. I can see why he hasn't given it. Let's put it that way. Um, whereas that Ipswich red card, I, I cannot understand. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Why yeah, yeah, look, well, you know, well, like just like the Ipswich yeah. red card, I just cannot understand why. How anyone sentient could not think that's a red card. Uh, I I can see why with the number one, he's gone the way he has on it. Let's put it It that way. It was a
4: less, it was a less bad decision for sure. Yeah, yeah. The Ipswich one was, um, and obviously also far more consequential to the game. The Ipswich one as well. So yeah, it was, it was disappointing, but not, you know, wasn't the reason we lost the game. I don't think. I mean, you could argue, and maybe, maybe you know, maybe it'd be fair to argue that if we'd have got back to 2-1, we could have got them on the ropes a bit earlier and maybe pulled it back to 2-2. But yeah, they, they ultimately, I don't think anyone. Unlike the Ipswich game, I don't think there's any debate over who was the better team yesterday. And I don't think there's any qualms that Leeds did deserve
2: their win. So I'm not going to moan too much about it. To be fair, to be fair, Sam, there's no debate as to who was the better team. Well, yeah, fair, fair point, fair point. But you know what I mean. Anyway, let's uh,
3: move on from watch now. Just stay calm, John, all right?
1: Oh, right. Cut that out then. Never mind. Nope. I think I'll just cut it all out, to be honest. To be fair, John, on that, I did ask you that question and said that I don't really care about refereeing decisions and I was also incensed at, at Portman Road, so I can't um, just backtrack on that slightly. Dan, you can have this one because I know Sam's answered this one in a previous uh, podcast, but PAFC Ryan has asked, do you genuinely think we'll ever win away on a Saturday 3pm ever again?
3: <laughs> yeah, maybe not, maybe not. It will come at some point, I'm sure. Although, uh, kind of ironically, I think, yeah, Sam said yesterday, and, and I, I think, yeah, I think this, this is right in this stacks, that Leicester is now our only one
4: before the end of this calendar year. Is that right, Sam? Yes, indeed it is. So, from the 15th of October 2022, uh, considering we then went on to win the league of 101 points, who would have possibly thought we'd not have a Saturday 3pm away league win? Uh, Leicester is our only one left. We have a Tuesday night at Coventry, a Wednesday night at um, QPR, a Friday night at Southampton and a Boxing Day Tuesday at Cardiff. But Leicester is our only remaining Saturday 3pm away game until the 13th of January uh, which is Huddersfield, So if we don't win either of those two, that record will go on beyond 15 months, which is quite incredible.
2: We're winning at Leicester, it's happening. <laughs> I'd be
3: impressed, I'd be impressed. It's, it's a strange one, and and funnily enough, um, a stat I had in the back of my mind, um, which is kind of weirdly looking in kind of symmetry with this season, is... Um, Uh, For those of us, those older generation Argyle fans might remember um, the season we got promoted to this level uh, in the mid 70s under Tony Waiters. That first year back up in the second tier, we didn't win a single away game all season. We still managed to stay up because we had a superb uh, home record. But uh, I think we got eight points from our 21 uh, away league games that season, which is quite, quite astonishing, really will win an away game at some point this season. Do I think we'll win many? Uh, probably not. We've we've got some opportunities. We've still got to play a lot of the teams. Just kind of thinking off the top of my head, a lot of the teams down near the bottom, we haven't played away from home yet this season. Certainly uh, all the bottom three, Huddersfield, Cov, Millwall, Spoke, all the teams around us, really, we're, we're yet to play away from home. So that kind of lends, lends itself an opportunity. I I look forward to experiencing that first championship away win in a while but we might have to be patient as sam says with uh, the saturday 3 p.m thing because leicester is going to be i think even tougher than yesterday which is a kind of scary prospect isn't it
2: i don't think it will be tougher than yesterday which is a, a big heated argument i already have with sam on messenger today but uh just, just to say i think Leeds are a better side than leicester at, when they're at the peak of their powers uh leicester win a lot of games by a single goal obviously they're a very very good side Obviously, they're very clinical. Obviously, they're very difficult to beat. But I think we have more chance going there and getting something than we had yesterday if Leeds played like they did, which which they did. With them, it's more of a consistency thing. Don't think Leicester will necessarily blow us away. Which, you know, whether Leicester play well or not, I think we, we have more of a chance of being in that game on average than we did in the average version of yesterday's game, if that makes oh, sense. I hope you're right.
1: That's good. At least I've got enough there to clip up. Michael Savage has asked... What is the January window priority? A centre, de- a central defender, or a striker? You can't say both.
4: Yeah, um, would well, ideally be both. Can't say both. Right-sided centre back. Um, I think playing is not up to pace of this of this level. Unfortunately, I think clearly he he is a good player in in the right system and in the right setup. But I think whilst I'm not saying that the Dutch league is. Is the a pub league. I think one big Ooh, difference it does have in the Championship
0: yeah.
4: is, yeah, whilst I'm not saying the Dutch League is an awful league, I think one big difference it has to the English League, but I think you lot notice a lot when players go to Premier League teams, is the tempo is so much slower. And often, players who come from the Dutch League expect to have more time on the ball than they've got. Sometimes they're caught, caught for pace, caught on the ball, um, too languid, and I think all of that has described... I'll play the play, to be honest with you. Um, I think, I know he, he's, he's a player who, who is quite beloved by the Green Armies. So it's probably not going to go down very well me saying this, but I think in the games, I think there's a reason why he doesn't get picked in a four. I think in a three, his weaknesses are protected a bit better because there's more defensive players. But even yesterday, like I said, he made a big mistake for the goal. He wasn't convincing throughout. Um, yeah, I think in all honesty, you have to judge on merits. I thought he looked a the great signing on paper when he signed. But I think you, ha- you have to judge on what you see rather than what you necessarily expect is going to be the case. And I think in the games he's played by and large, I think even the Blackburn game, we won 3-0, he got mad a match and I came on here and said, I didn't really think he was that good. We conceded four against Palace when he played. Um, he was pretty poor at Preston. He's, he's been poor in a lot of the games he's played, is my, is my completely honest opinion. Um, and I just think there is the possibility he might get up to speed and he might adapt. I'm not saying for me he won't. But yeah, based on at the moment, I think he's been one of our weaker players this season for sure, and I and I don't feel comfortable playing him much at the minute. And again, like with Kensal Hayden, I'd, I'd have him give him a prolonged spell out of the team. Will I then maybe you know give him another chance to come back into the team? Yes, I'm not saying Prans finished him, but yeah, I would I would very much want to sign a new right-sided centre back because I think with Scar, he's I think his before he's kind of low level actions throughout the game are better. I think he's less likely to get caught loitering and less likely to just you know be, be a yard off a player but he's made he, scar's maybe more likely to make big mistakes scar's more likely to make mistakes that are, are bigger but rarer is likely to make mistakes that are smaller but more often so overall I think I'd start Scar above Plegafuelo if we are playing a back four um but I would very much either way or whatever formation we play absolutely be wanting to bring in a new right sided centre back in January because I think it is our weakest area on the pitch. I
2: Disagree with Sam on Pleggy. Uh, I don't think we've seen the best of him, but I think there's definitely a player in there. And I think he's not necessarily had the run of games that would allow him to get up to speed at this level. I think that's very much a work in, in progress. I'm not saying he's been perfect or, or yeah, again, I, we certainly haven't seen him at his best, but but I think there's a player in there. But, but more than that, I disagree on the striker-defender debate and find it a bit peculiar you're now pivoting to say we must absolutely sign a defender when you've been the principal moaner in chief. Um, along with other Argyle life personalities who shall remain nameless, uh, about us not not signing Let me, me finish. Not, yeah, not, okay. not signing it, Let me finish. Not signing a striker over the summer. And just just quickly finish that point before you before you rebut. Um, we our strength is going forward, and the one break on that at the moment is that we don't have enough strength and depth in that striker position. If we can bring in one striker who's who's exciting and capable of slotting into that team, covering for Hardy, scoring a few goals. That will be worth its weight in points. I, given given how many chances we create, I'm very very confident of that. Um, you know, we we will we will stay in this league by scoring a lot of goals rather than rather than you know tightening up very slightly at the back, but losing more games one 0 in my opinion. So I think that should absolutely be the priority: the, the striker
3: area. I was going to say I agree, and I think it is worth remembering that a reason why a big reason why we have a defensive record that is a lot worse than uh, the majority of this league. Is because we play in a very, very aggressive style. I think, as John says, we could be a lot more cautious and we could just lose games one 0 but we don't. We commit bodies forward and we and we play an aggressive style, and that is going to lead to defenders getting caught more often than not. I think we could easily—I could be wrong. It's it's a counterfactual, but we could easily, if we were playing a much more defensive style, have Plaguelow playing every week and people saying that he's absolutely brilliant. And I think I think he could still. I think it was, I, I agree with John. I think there's a player in there, but I think it's it's a slight, he's on a slight hiding to nothing just to the fact that we play such an aggressive style, which isn't a criticism. It's just the way we play. And, and I think it brings the best out of technical midfield players who are good at um, kind of being positionally aware, getting into a yard of space and having the technique to bring the ball under control and uh, distribute it quickly. Houghton, Cundall, Azaz. Players that have really, really shone this so far this season because that is that's what they're good at. So not to not to criticize them, it's just, you know, the this system brings the best out of them, or this style brings the best out of them. Flaghuelo like will get better with time as he learns, um, learns our system. It's it's a difficult job for our centre backs at the minute. You know, you've got Full backs or wing backs flying at the pitch or inverting. Um you got the single pivot in front of the back in front of the back four or back three. And we're in the championship against some bloody good attack. So it's it's very, very difficult for our centre backs at the minute. And I think we need to we need to cut them a little bit of slack as a result of that.
2: Also, Sam, Sam, you yourself have said that the big issue is that we're not, you know, we're not turning tight games in our favour, right? We're not turning tight defeats into draws, we're not turning tight tight draws into wins. And I think if we sign another defender, yeah, obviously I'm not saying, you know, obviously individual defenders, Lewis Gibson's proved this on a number of occasions this season already can provide heroic kind of game-changing blocks or can just generally contribute to a very solid unit. But that's that's one player across a back line where we've had a fairly even distribution of individual mistake-making, and and then that's not going to completely rectify that. I, I think if you're trying to, like, turn those margins in our favor – you're way way more likely to do it by signing another player who knows how to put the ball in the back of the net. Um you know the games where we have found it really frustrating this season we've often created chances that we haven't taken or we haven't quite managed to you know get a striker in on goal or just quite have that cutting edge. Um f- for me I just think that is the quickest way to more points which is what we need to stay up. And I uh, yeah. I, I agree I agree with Dan totally that I'm very worried that we could tighten up, concede fewer goals, goals overall, but it would come at the expense of us scoring and we would just lose games 1-0 as opposed to 3-2, which is ultimately, you know, irrelevant.
4: I get that point of view. And I really, and of course, I would love to sign an to striker. The very primitive the question was if it had to be on or the other. Now, you've made a point about what would happen if we shifted on a, our style to go more defensive, which is, is, is one point. But what the, what the question was is purely about starting. If we kept the same... Um, style, but signed a fully championship ready defender who could slot in at right centre back ahead of either Pleggerfuella or Scar, um, I think that would have a, a probably a larger differential on our outcome because that's, as Ben has said on previous podcasts, our attacking stats are bloody good. Our XG is one of the highest in the league and our goals scored is one of the highest in the league there's probably not that much more we can bring out of the attacking side, which is not to say there's nothing more, because like I did, I have that in some games where he's not quite undercut against, so not that there's nothing more at all. But as a, as a macro level, as opposed to a micro level, as a macro level over the season, we're probably not going to get that more out of our attacking side, whereas we can definitely get more out of our defensive side. So I, I think, look, I think, I, I think, to be fair, with, with all respect to... Uh, uh, to Michael who asked the question. I would slightly reject the fairest of the question because with some of the money that we clearly had lined up in the summer that we didn't spend and ha- with how much income we've had since with, um, you know, filling out the filling out the ground every week and, and and all the stuff that the club are doing to bring revenue in, I would like to think we absolutely can sign both, even if one of them is only a low league. Let's not forget we've still got one loan slot left. So I'd like to think we absolutely can and indeed will sign both the right centre-back and a striker. But if it absolutely had to be on the other, say you we were in another situation on deadline day, whereby we've somehow not managed to bring any in throughout the window, and it's, we could spend £1 million on the right centre-back or £1 million on the striker, if you're absolutely holding a gun to my head and forcing one or the other, in that scenario, I would go for the right centre-back. Unless, of course, clegg a and form, form massively improves between now and then, I would go for the right centre-back.
1: Nice. I think this has gone on long enough. So just a few AOBs before we head off. Obviously... Um, Hardy and Bundu are now both expected to be back for Sunderland, I believe. I was going to ask Joe on this as he tweeted about it, but I don't know if anybody else has read up on the reports.
2: Now, I saw that Hardy was targeting Sunderland for his return. Uh, obviously, we've heard a lot of players targeting games that they haven't quite been ready for. And I, and I totally concur with Sam that if there's any if there's any risk whatsoever, we shouldn't push players beyond their physical, uh, you know, beyond beyond when they're ready to come back because we need them for the rest of the season.
1: Is that a first that you agree with Sam on something? Um, come back to me. <laughs> Zach Baker has joined Tiverton on loan. Our women are to come under the umbrella of the club. This pod has gone on long enough. I've got a few questions on that, but I'm going to speak to maybe Graham or Joe on that one. They're, they're a bit more versed on um, club internal matters, and um, they can we can cover that properly and give that some airtime. And also the away game at Southampton has been selected for TV coverage which uh, Sam Down is delighted about. Um, and that means we can f- they've finally done us a favour and we can get home slightly earlier. Uh, that now kicks off at 6pm. Um,
2: Sam actually thinks this is a disgrace and a further sign of the erosion of football as a working-class punter sport, don't you, Sam?
4: Well, well, yeah. Thinking, I, I normally when you kind of mock me for my views, I push back on it. But yeah, actually, I, I kind of do think that as much as it will benefit me Oh, No, no, no. I actually, I'm, I
2: actually wasn't yeah. for once. For once, I actually wasn't mocking you. I was trying to accurately uh, characterise. Yeah, your Yeah, you, you know what?
4: I'll get a what then. Since, since we, I know it's been a long podcast, but you know what? Since we brought it up, yeah. I will it. Will it benefit me personally? Yes, because frankly, so I'm not, I've got the whole day off work, and the next day is Saturday, so I'm not in any way. So I'm able to go to the game anyway. That doesn't matter. And, and yes, it is. It is kind of nice that I'll be getting home at you know maybe more like midnight rather than 2am or whatever but from the fans point of view i don't think it's great to have a game on a, on a working day starting at 6pm obviously weekday bank holiday is fine you know that is that is a bank holiday but friday 29th of december is treated as a working day i mean yes you know i know that a lot of people have two weeks off over christmas not not everyone does but a lot a lot of people do but so many people will be working that day I think even for like Look, for away fans, it's not going to make a big difference. This is far from a self interest thing be, because away fans, unless you can get you know the day off, or at the very least, if you can get the afternoon off, that, that will be where, that will determine whether you can go to the game or not. If you're working till 5 pm, the kickoff plan doesn't change it because nobody's really going to get from Plymouth to Southampton in, in under three hours without massively breaking the, the, the speed limit. Um, so it's not going to massively impact away fans, but home fans, you know, if you're getting out of work 5, you know, 530 pm, bit of traffic. It's actually going to be really hard for home fans to to get to the game. So I think this trend of kickoff times being moved is a natural part of football. And you know we have to take the rough of this move. But if we are going to have so much more money in the game and such a high quality of football as a result of as a result of um, television money to some extent, then then yes, you have. I think you have to accept that. I'm not a fundamentalist on this. You have to accept that there will be some flexibility around kickoff times that is not greatly beneficial to fans. But I think this is going extreme. I think if you're having a game kicking off at 6pm on a working day where people are just coming out of work an hour or less than an hour before, I don't think it's good for, for fans that the games are kicking off at that time. I think when it's a working day, it should not be kicking off any earlier than, I think, 7pm at the earliest. And I think even that's pushing it a little, you know. So, yeah, I don't think it's a great move by Sky. But there we have it. That's what it will be and i be there either way. So, there, there we go.
2: What Sam is actually saying there, just in summary, is "pahara to the people.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, though, you think that's bad? They've they've put, like, uh, Wolves against Chelsea on a Christmas Eve. Well, yeah, that's um, that's not
4: great either. But, uh, obviously, Christmas Eve is there where a lot of people want to be with their families. I'm like, look, that one's less likely doing about people for work, I guess. But, you know, trains will be very limited, won't they? And people will be... If you're if you're a London-based Chelsea fan going to that game, you're not going to be back to spend Christmas Eve with your family till probably gone seven pm. So no, that that's not great either. Um, in in all honesty, I mean that one. Like I'm, I'm actually less bothered about that one.
1: Oh, of course you, you are because it doesn't affect you.
4: Well, but well, well, as I've said, it doesn't affect me anyway because I'll be going to the game. If, I, if anything, it actually affects me positively, Aaron, which so is not self interested at all. But <laughs> but I think from the point of view of people just not being able to make the game. I don't think the trend of... And look and the other thing I think is Christmas Eve only falls on a Sunday about once every seven years. So I think that's less of a precedent for it being a bad thing long-term, if you get what I mean. Whereas I think this trend of pushing back weekday, working day, kickoff times to earlier kickoff times, that
1: has far more potential to be a negative precedent going forward. I don't want to see it happen. Okay, before we finish up, I would like to give a quick shout-out to a few international greens, namely Mark in Canada, Warren in Spain, Nick and his brother he didn't give me his name in new zealand uh, have all got in contact recently to express their love for the pod um i find it mad um and confusing but whatever we've also had what a few about, people um, si- simon in america is he is he a fan yeah yeah um it was hard to gauge fandom levels <laughs> to be honest we've had a few people ask us where they can donate to us which is Again, absolutely mad. We've opened up a Kofi page, so if you want to buy us a coffee, donate towards our running costs, or like a huge donation from Mark, who has bought us around at the Christmas party, which is also in the new year, but whatever. We'll call it the Christmas party. Uh, you can find us at ko com forward slash Argyle Life. Do we not have a Patreon account? Brilliant. You're desperate to get that in there, so I'll, I'll leave that second one in. Also, over the international break, we have two big My Argyle Life episodes coming out. The first on Thursday, the sixteenth, not the nineteenth, the sixteenth. Um, so make sure you subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on that. Uh, I think we'll call that a night. Cheers, boys. Do we not have a? Do we have an Andy Davis? No. Name the player question again? No, no. Okay. I think we'll call that a night.
3: <laughs> Cheers all.
0: by fans.